morning and greetings from the Buchanan House once again. Uh, I've had a little bit of a change of scenery here because my shed got a little bit cold this week. And so we're in my back lounge room. I've got my dogs relaxing all around me at this time. And uh, this is the space where Jen and I usually film our foyer time segments. And at night, this is where I kind of do a lot of relaxation when I get the chance. Anyway, we're going to continue with this series in Ephesians that's been in play during this time of isolation. Uh, the series has been titled Ascend because as I was exploring the, the, the passage and laying out the series, I found three ideas in play of what I would describe as upward motion. Um, the first three chapters has shown us a process of looking up. We read theological insight, and that draws our gaze upward. Um, and there is prayer and there is praise in these chapters that also draws our gaze upward. That's important because at the very start, I ask us to consider the things that might compete with Jesus in our lives. Uh, in particular, the things that cast the biggest shadow over our faith lives uh, in much the same way the goddess Artemis and her massive temple did in ancient Ephesus. Uh, if we continually look down at these things uh, into the shadows, um, they often end up being what derails our faith. Uh, I've been talking about uh, habits and behaviours we just don't shake. I'm talking about sins we revisit, uh, unwholesome mindsets, um, and even the things that I would describe as westernized idols, uh, things that demand something awfully close to sacred devotion. I've noticed something, that this isolated time can leave us alone with our thoughts, and, and that's not always the most healthy place to be. Uh, we can also be in a place where we're left with idle hands, and this isn't always healthy either. Uh, this isolation can draw our gaze downward really quickly. We can go into some downward spirals real fast. But these first three chapters show us that looking up, um, averting our gaze away from these things and looking to the Lord is one key way that we, are, we, that we ascend above those things in our lives. Anyway, we're going to look at a different uh, journey of upward motion uh, in a believer's life. And as we do that, we're going to move forward and go into Ephesians chapter 4 today uh, as we consider this. It's a short verse, verses 1 to 3. When you're ready, let's read this together. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Short verse, awfully loaded. Let's look at it together. First up, then or therefore. Uh, that's how this passage opens. It, it, it tells us that what we're reading now must be considered in light of what has already been presented to us. Uh, to us. Uh, all that stuff we've learned in the look up section of this series is to be kept in mind as we consider this next part. Then we see that Paul describes himself in a really cool way here. Um, we've read it as prisoner for the Lord, but the better way to describe it is actually prisoner in the Lord. Uh, it's the same word used here as when Paul describes our faith status, when he says that we are in Christ. 
so we're actually saying here, like Paul is acknowledging his present reality. He's a prisoner. He's under guard. He's in house arrest. But that's not determining who he is. Uh, he's, he has a heavenly reality, and that promises something far greater. He might be a prisoner, but he is in the Lord. His identity is not tied up in his prison. It's tied up in Christ. And I, re- I think that's really powerful for us to ponder as we consider our own circumstances too. We're not what we see around us. We are in Christ, and that matters more. And so we have a fellow believer in Christ who happens to be under house arrest, uh, and he's laid out three chapters of profound theological truth. And now he asks us to consider how we will live that out. And, and this, is a, this is not a command, it's an invitation. Uh, it's a, an appeal to the hearts of a congregation who is healthy and friendly to him. And, and he offers them a deep, heartfelt appeal which goes along the lines of this, live a life worthy of the amazing calling that you now have in Christ. The first three chapters show us the true value of that calling. We've read already about chosenness and adoption and forgiveness and, and redemption in that calling. Uh, we've read about grace and resurrection and future hope and spirit-led living, and all these awesome things, all included in this calling. As we look up, we grow in revelation of these things, and we realize just how much God has done to make all that happen. Uh, We realize that this calling we have is a truly sacred one. And so it should come as no surprise that, that Paul would invite us to live out a life that grace equips and calls us into. You know, we've been singing a song in recent weeks. Dale has led this song, Is He Worthy? And I see this as the question of the day today. Now, is he worthy? Is the calling we have in him a worthy one? Well, if we've gotten this far into the broadcast, and if you've been on this journey with us, then, then you will share my answer in that, that it's a resounding, yes, he is worthy. And if he is, if the answer is yes in your life, then let's consider the invitation in our hands to live our lives in keeping with that worthiness also. We read here that a life lived worthy of this calling has some clear attributes. Uh, Paul has some pretty clear ideas in his mind, and uh, we're going to explore those together. And we're going to start with humility, gentleness, and patience first. In the Greek and the Roman culture that Ephesus was part of, uh, humility was a confronting line of thought. Uh, It was considered weakness, not strength. Um, It was uh, the idea of lowering your view of yourself. That's what actually humility is. It it was counterintuitive in a place where everyone was on the fast track of trying to become a somebody. Uh, In in that mindset, people were pawns in a game. They were bodies to walk over as you ascended to the top. Uh, This was true in all walks of life, in education, in in philosophy, in politics, and even in religion. Uh, In in ancient Greek culture, any form of servitude was detested. Uh, And and even today in Eastern and Western cultures, we see this to be true. I saw this firsthand in India in my travels last year, and, and I see it in the modern West as well. Nobody wants to be a servant. Yet the cold are being invited here to a very different way. 
instead of elevating ourselves and counting bodies in our wake, we the called are to allow others to shine even if we don't. That's the outlook of Jesus himself. He told his disciples to do this. For example, if you were invited to a party, take the lowest seat in the house, take the lowest seat uh, and then and sit there until someone invites you to come up to a better one. You know, and I think that actually, that verse there can inform our own current voice in the public sphere in this post-Christian world as well, but that's for another matter. Jesus told his disciples that if they wanted to be great, then they needed to learn how to serve. That's the kingdom way. And Jesus did those very things himself to prove a point. If God in the flesh could be that very way, then so could those he called. So we have humility, we have gentleness. Uh, This is also known in scripture as meekness. The stuff that Jesus said would be earth-inheriting stuff. Um, This is not about being a doormat, but this is a, a case of the power of a person being kept under restraint and self-discipline. It's it's the position that we hold when we we choose not to exploit the mistakes of another person. Uh, We choose not to use power-breaking or manipulation to get our own way, Uh, to to not use power to our own advantage. Uh, And instead, it's something where we use power in the form of mercy, uh, where we use our fight mechanisms for the cause of justice. We're driven a different way in this new calling. This sort of gentleness is highly favoured by our Lord. Psalm 25 tells us that God guides the humble or the gentle or the meek in what is right, and he teaches them his way. It's a disposition in us that draws near to God, and its absence brings us to a place of resistance. Uh, We see this in Proverbs 3, verse 34, um, where God mocks or resists the proud, but shows favour to the humble and the oppressed. We see Peter repeats that sentiment also in his letters. In Paul's understanding, gentleness is a key ministry gift. Galatians 5 shows it to be a fruit of the Spirit, and that's a good starting point. You know, if we we want to know if the Spirit is alive and active in us, look at our gentleness. But he also talks about it in ministry. He, he says if someone is caught in sin, um, then we are to restore people gently. Uh, in 2 Timothy, we read that if someone is in theological error, we're to bring them back to truth gently. Um, you know, even in disagreement, even in bringing things to order, gentleness is supposed to be in play. It's a, it's a gift of the Spirit for that very purpose. And then we have this other challenge in here. Patience. This is to the point that we make allowance for the faults of others because of the love we have for them. The King James Version uses the word long-suffering to describe the mindset here. And and this works well with Paul's use of the Greek word macrothemia. I really like the idea that he's bringing out here. Uh, The ancient philosophers often spoke of three parts of a human mind. Uh, Let me show it to you. First, we have eros. Uh, This spoke into the emotional side of a person. And uh, then we have this thing called logos. Uh, Now, this, as it might sound, addresses logic and reason. Uh, And then there was something a little more ambiguous. And this was called thumos or phimos. Often speaking of the inner drive of a person. 
Uh, this speaks of things that motivate us and drive us. Uh, it speaks of our causes, uh, the sense of purpose that we have, um, the, and also things like our will, our temper, uh, pride, and even shame was believed to come from this place of our inner being, of our mind. It's actually interesting to note that when we read of the oneness, the singleness of mind in Acts chapter 2, uh, the word used to describe that is actually from this section more so than these other two to describe the unity the church had. And we read here that Paul is inviting us to let our thumos, our motivations, our drive, our temper, be stretched uh, through our interactions with other people. People can be fallible. People can be unmotivated. People can not be as driven as we are. People can be offensive. People can be hostile. But patience is the fruit of the Spirit that enables us to remain on track without being offended or derailed by others as we continue to do this thing called the chosen life, the call of life. It's worth noting this also, that when the Greek Old Testament was written about 300 BC, this Greek word macrothumia was used to describe the very character of God in Exodus chapter 34. Uh, that's the story where we read of Moses wanting to see God. And the Lord agrees to do this, but in a way that won't actually kill Moses. <laughs> um, we're told that, that the Lord walks by and he proclaims himself as the compassionate and the gracious God who is slow to anger. It's the same Greek word there, macrothumia, uh, and then abounding in love and faithfulness. And, and Paul knew this verse, and he picks up this idea in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 as well. It says this, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? It's that same word. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn us from our sin. So we have patience here. And rounding out this second verse is the invitation to enduring love. The word bear with or put up with here is also found in the Gospels or the word of Jesus as well. In Matthew 17, we read of Jesus at the Transfiguration and he comes down the mountain and he finds disciples who are still not able to do the ministry he believed they should do. And he makes a response, an exasperated response to them. How long must I bear with you? <laughs> it's, and yet, despite it being an, an exasperation statement, we know that it's still spoken from a place of investment and love. And that's what I think is being brought out here in Ephesians. Um, we display humility, gentleness and long-suffering and even putting up with or bearing with others. And we do this not because we have to, out of some sense of obligation, but because we want to, because we're motivated out of love to do so. These worthy things are done out of a position of, of love and deep investment. So as called people, we're invited into a life worthy of that calling. And so far, this is marked by humility gentleness, patience, and enduring love. I might add here that it's impossible to do those things in complete isolation. You need other people around you to practice these things. 
so we have to conclude that living a life worthy of our calling is in fact a life lived in Christian community, first and foremost. And that, my friends, is going to take a bit of work. <laughs> our last challenge this morning is, make, is this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul has already established some key things in Ephesians at this time. In, in chapter 2, he tells us that together we become members of God's household. Uh, and that in Christ, we are joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord. And we are a dwelling place for the Spirit. In chapter 3, we are shown that both Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in one body, which is the church. And this is to be an entity that displays the wisdom of God to the world around them. We're brought together by God's Spirit. A unity exists here, which is given by grace. And in this unified space, God's wisdom is put on show. God clearly has a vested interest in this. And the Spirit's presence is a key part of our new identities in Christ. And as we consider the invitation to live worthy of our calling, we learn that protecting that unity in the Spirit is part of that call. A healthy church doesn't need to somehow create unity. I've heard church leaders talk about unity like it's something that is attained, usually through a common vision. And if we're honest, this vision is usually what the top guy says it is to be. And anyone who questions that is somehow breeding disunity. Now, that's an expression we can call unity, but I don't believe that's what Paul is angling for here. Unity in Ephesians already exists through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it breaks through every racial divide and every other uh, divide that shows up in human schemes. The task set before those who are called is to, uh, is to protect it. And we do this with what Paul calls the bond of peace. This word bond here, as well as the word prisoner in verse 1, are carefully chosen by Paul because they are related words to each other. Think about this. Under arrest, Paul is bound to a guard, like shackles or a handcuff or a chain. In Paul's mind, those who value their calling bind themselves like a willing prisoner to the unity they have, and they do so with the most gentle shackle or bond ever made. The bond of peace. I'm really good at this. What does all this mean? Well, first we lean into the fact that Christian life is one where community is inescapable. We embrace the calling we have. Our expression of faith is no longer a case of merely, I'm saved and I'm not going to hell no more. But I'm saved and I have a profound understanding of this. And I will answer the invitation to live out this called life in the spirit-led, worthy manner that it calls for. I will be humble. I will be gentle. 
I will be patient. I will bear with others in love. And I will work for unity. I will embrace the entity that God has drawn me into through Christ. I will play my part in demonstrating God's wisdom to the world. And I will be utterly arrested by God's peace. Friends, it's time I reveal the next upward motion of which these first few verses are a part. We've spent a lot of time in the idea of looking up. And now, alongside that, is this next motion. Step up. Paul starts by drawing us upward to grasp who we are in Christ. And now he invites us into the place where those who are called walk this out. And please understand this. Every believer can do this. This is not mission impossible. Every part of what Paul has invited us into is already part of our equipping in the Spirit. And if we're willing to take hold of the things already given to us, then answering this invitation will be the best thing we'll ever do. We're going to go a whole lot deeper into this idea of stepping up next week. But for now, we're going to stop and we're going to pause and pray.